Hello and welcome to episode 710 of The Sleeper in the Bust. It is Wednesday, June 26th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I'm flying solo. As some of you may know, Justin's out of town, although that doesn't necessarily matter for purposes of this episode because I wouldn't be recording with him anyway. I do bring it up to point out that uh, the next episodes this week will be sans Justin. But uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about some pitching today. And uh, I'm going to start by rewinding to last year. At this time last year, now I think the season started a little bit earlier so, uh, this year than last, but not enough to really make uh, an impactful difference on, on this yarn I'm about to spin. But at this time last year, Herman Marquez had a 553 ERA. Zach Wheeler had a 485. Luis Castillo had a 570. Mike Miner had a 506. And, well, I mean, you get the point. Uh, their whips were 155, 137, 140, and 126, respectively. So they were undoubtedly struggling. They wound up being four of the best pitchers from late June on, with Marquez posting a 247 ERA, Wheeler a 206, Castillo a 293, and Minor a 332. And I highlight Minor because uh, a lot of folks are talking about his, you know, his kind of breakthrough this year, and it really started last year in the second half. Um, and I highlight them specifically because their second half surges weren't really in the numbers. It, it wasn't simple. I, I, you know, I've lamented multiple times and talked about how I cut Herman Marquez in the NL only. I mean, he had a 5.53 ERA, and you're just you're taking this punishment. Uh, obviously, he was probably an easier cut in the earlier cut even in uh, in mixed leagues but at this point I'd, I'd gotten to a, a situation where I was like you know what I've given him nearly three months in an NL only I feel like I've been patient enough I'm going to move on and of course he went off um, but yeah Marquez had a 13% strikeout minus walk rate I, I want to say 15-16% is usually average so he's below average 14% uh, for the other three guys so they're all below average Marquez had a 474 FIP, uh, Castillo 520, Minor 445, Wheeler was sub four at 391. So maybe you could fashion some encouragement there and say, okay, you know, he's almost a run below on the FIP. Maybe this is someone I'll buy into. But I will still say that um, you take yourself back to that time last year. I know it's hard because we have the bias of knowing that he goes off in the second half and then being. A, uh, a well-sought-after fantasy commodity coming into this year for Zach Wheeler. And it's it's hard to kind of get back in that mindset of the expectations were low at this time last year when he was struggling. Because remember, he was coming off of a, a lot of injuries. He had pitched for half a season in 2017, but it was bad. And then missed two years before that. So we were dealing with uh, two and a half years of either no or poor performance uh, or actually, I guess three full years, because if you add in that half of 18 with the half of 17, plus 15 and 16 being off, you're talking about three years since la last uh, uh, since Wheeler was last effective. So I don't know that a FIP alone was necessarily encouraging folks in mid-June, or in late June, I should say, to really take that chance on, on him. Um, he might have started his turnaround a little bit earlier, but the bottom line is I think he's worthy of being included in this little quartet here. And he was he was the only one of the group there that even had a sub four FIP and none of them had a 15% strikeout minus walk rate. Now I bring all this up just to point out 
how fickle pitching can be and how it can completely turn on a dime, a pitch, a mechanical change, better luck, or really all three working in concert can, uh, you know, can turn a total dud into a stud. So what I'm going to do today is talk about four pitchers who could be this year's out-of-nowhere second-halfers. This means we're not talking Blake Snell, uh, the reigning Cy Young of the American League. Noah Syndergaard obviously has not uh, necessarily performed to the expectations that a lot of us have had, namely yours truly here. And uh, and we're not talking Aaron Nola because, again, excellent last year. You know, just has a little bit too much of a track record to really say that it would be out of nowhere. In fact, all three of them are expected to turn it around. It would be the direct opposite of out of nowhere. Um, they've all just done too much prior to this year so that a major turnaround wouldn't be that shocking. So I've got four names here. And again, it's not in the numbers to say like, oh, well, he's got this you know this gaudy strikeout rate, or or this uh, this K minus BB, or this FIP, or anything like that. Um, similar to the the quartet of last year, there is one guy with a sub four FIP, but even he has really fallen on hard times and doesn't really have a lengthy enough track record to say, oh, I'm definitely going to believe in him. Although I will start with him because it's not going to surprise folks. In fact, I'm looking at these names here, and these are these are some some guys that I've definitely touted in the past and even including this year. So you're not going to necessarily be surprised. But we're out here searching, man. And I will admit right now that this isn't necessarily go out and get all these guys in, in every league that you can. It's a, This is a little bit more specific. Uh, you're dire. You're in a dire situation. Your pitching is really struggling. You're really looking for anything. You're, you're going to take any scrap. You're going to go. You want to get some buy lows that are really going to be buy lows. This is what we're doing here with these four names. Uh, and so I'll start with that that first one there, the only one that has the sub four FIP right now, and it is Joe Musgrove. And I, again, I know no one is surprised to hear me uh, speak the merits of, of Joe Musgrove. And in fact, he was actually off to a good start this year. I was actually... Uh, Pretty happy with how it was going because he was one of my big, you know, go after guys and 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 can we get the big breakout? And I thought, yeah, and he had a brilliant April. Musgrove did everything was really clicking. One fifty four ERA after that month. Obviously, that's not the level that I was expecting. Two dud starts to open the month of May um, against Oakland and at St. Louis, and I'm like, oof, that's not so good. Then a one hitter at Arizona, and I'm like, okay, we're back on track. We're back on track. A decent little uh, quality start at San Diego. Okay, we're sitting here right in the mid-threes. It's all good. Uh, he's kind of weathered the storm of those two mega duds. And, and Musgrove is, is in a in a reasonable position to still be the breakout call that, that I'm hoping for here. He closes the month of May with back-to-back double-digit hits allowed, 10 and 11, to the Dodgers in Milwaukee. Now, those are two great teams. But the thing of it is, is while you don't ever uh, – a little side note here, by the way, I want to say. When we have like a breakout pitcher or somebody who, you know, we're kind of streaming and whatnot, and if your biggest critique against them is that they don't do well against the elite teams, I don't think you're really making a, a useful point. Because if you're streaming somebody and, and you're you know you're just trying to steal some innings here or you're not using them as a set it and forget it, who the hell cares? 
because you would be benching them against those aforementioned good teams. I've heard some stuff, you know, oh, Giolito's running into some. Now, Giolito's a little bit of a different story because he's turned into somebody who you're kind of setting and forgetting. But the bottom line is, like, when you're streaming, uh, if, if the biggest pushback is, well, I don't know if he can handle the, the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. Okay, well, then don't stream him there. But anyway, that excuse doesn't fly for Musgrove here. I don't bring that up to give him any cover. I only brought it up because it was two good teams, and it reminded me of that quick tangent. He was somebody, Musgrove was somebody that I was really believing in could handle the good and bad or, or the good teams and, and, you know, take them on to where you wouldn't have to stream him only in the most favorable situations against the mediocre to bad teams. So two home starts where he gives up 11 runs and 11 innings on 21 hits. I mean, that's just bad. And, you know, I wasn't expecting those to be his best starts, but I wasn't expecting two meltdowns either. So Musgrove closes the month of May with a 457 ERA. The funny thing is, and I think this is something I've stressed now for the last, you know, year plus, talking about how I'm not going to sit here and pretend that a 457 ERA is super fantasy viable and something that you want on your team, but we're talking essentially the average of a quality start. I mean, six innings, three runs is a 450. Now, again, you can't put a bunch of 450s on your fantasy roster, call it a day, and say, I'm getting quality starts out the wazoo. I'm good to go. Uh, the thing of it is, only 10% of quality starts are baseline quality starts anyway. So, again, I, I think I've said again about 50 times. But I, I'm not trying to make the point that this was a good situation, but I was still at a point where, okay, I'm not panicked. And uh, Musgrove opened the month of, of June with an eight-inning solid outing against Atlanta. A, a gem, I would even say. In fact, because he gave up the last two of those three runs in the ninth. He went into the ninth. He didn't get a single out, but he went eight-plus. Gave up three runs, six strikeouts, five hits, and a walk. I, I like that. Then has the next start against Atlanta where uh, Josh Donaldson's feelings got hurt because he had his jersey hit by a pitch. Don't hurt my jersey. So then uh, he, Musgrove gets ejected because he was gonna he was gonna waste Josh Donaldson and uh, they didn't like that so they booted him. He gets to start two days later again against the uh, the Braves or actually I think it was three days later. Gets crushed and so now the ERA is back up to 4.87 and then a gem more recently here against the Padres at home eight strikeouts seven innings one run back down to 4.57. So that's where we stand right now with Joe Musgrove. I still see the potential for him to really take off and be elite the rest of the way. And one of my favorite factors here, there is still a challenging strikeout rate. In fact, he's he's slowly bled off a little bit of his strikeout rate every year in the majors so far. He started, uh, you could call it 22% rate in 2016, but it's 21 and a half. And what I mean by bleeding off, it's just like little bits. He goes from 21.5 to 21.2 to 20.6 to 19. It's all pretty much the same, but it's just slowly trickling down from an already not great point down to, you know, uh, fantasy mediocrity. Like you need you need Musgrove to excel in the ratios and or the wins, uh, which is not really going to do with Pittsburgh, to counter the fact that he's not a strikeout guy. And so we haven't really seen that, but there's some swing and miss stuff throughout all of this. Um, well, not all of it. In 2016, he had a 10% rate, but in the last three years, 12%. If you round up, it's actually been an 11 and a half pretty firmly, but we'll round up. We'll call it 12. Let's be favorable here. 
12% strikeout rate deserves better than the strikeouts that we're seeing out of Joe Musgrove. What I really like and the reason that I truly believe that he could go off here is because he counters one of the major issues in today's game that has sent so many ERAs through the roof, the home runs. He's got a .9 rate, which anything under one these days I'm taking. And the thing of it is, it's really even blown up that high by a three-homer outing uh, against Milwaukee, that that aforementioned uh, dud where he allowed 11 hits and five runs against them. And he allowed two homers in that Atlanta gym, the good one, the eight innings, three runs. So that was five homers in back-to-back starts out of his total eight. So I think Musgrove has the opportunity to be even markedly better than the .9 rate that we've seen this year, .85 if you want to be technical Tommy. Um, so yeah, I'm sticking, but bottom line is I'm sticking with a guy that I was backing from Jump Street this year as I haven't seen enough to really make me run away from him in any uh, discernible way. Even like a 10-teamer, I would still at least be streaming him right now until I kind of see where it goes. But like my 15-teamers, I'm still putting him in there in the lineup regularly without even really questioning it. Uh, maybe part of it is I don't have strong enough staffs to even consider sitting Joe Musgrove, but I true I do truly believe that he could put up one of these gaudy ERAs um, over the second half for 90 innings and be one of the gems of the second half. Now that was probably my easiest sell, and so if you're like, oh, I mean, this is going to be three more guys that uh, you can you can kind of make the easy case for it. Nope, that's not what this is going to be. <laughs> Some of y'all are going to vomit at, at at the rest of these names here and be like. What are you doing? I'm trying to drive. I'm trying to take a walk with my dog. I'm trying to sit back and, and you know, play some MLB The Show and listen to your pod. And you got me vomiting left and right here. I apologize. But uh, this is what we're trying to do here. We're trying to find these diamonds in the rough. Uh, and it's got to be really rough or else it doesn't really count. So next up, again, probably another. Uh, again, they're all. Dude, I really do say again too much. Holy shit. I'm going to try to be mindful of that the rest of this episode. These are some some spore-backed pitchers uh, from previous years, too, including, uh, including some this year. Next up, Ronaldo Lopez. I know. I can hear y'all cackling right now. Um, I can't quit him yet. He's still 25, throws, throws the ball through a wall, uh, you know, 95, 96-mile-per-hour heat shows these flashes that continue to tantalize me here's the thing i haven't done a deep dive on on Raylo this year at any point yet and maybe i will do that uh you know i was just kind of going through these numbers you know i did a little bit of a dive here but not not a full you know watch some starts and really see where we're at with lopez uh but it's been bad i mean he's got a 623 era in fact i think he threw today he did. Baseline quality start against Boston. I'll take that. But that barely makes a dent in his ERA because he's at 623 for crying out loud. And the annoying thing about Reynaldo Lopez is that he'll throw two brilliant outings. Three brilliant outings. You know, he'll string together a two or three pack. It's usually never more than that, but he'll he'll tantalize and he'll tease. He did it already this year. He opened the season with three utter duds. My guy had a 12-15 ERA three starts into the season. And then Reynaldo Lopez rips off three quality starts, including uh, back-to-back gems against uh, the Tigers with eight and 14 strikeouts respectively. 
and it only cut his ERA down to 603. Three starts in the first month of the season with a 150 ERA, and he could only get the ERA down to 603. That's how terrible Reynaldo Lopez was in those first three starts. So, okay, you start to want to trust him. You probably weren't going to run him out against Boston in the next start, the opening one of May. And rightfully so, because he got pummeled, six runs in five innings. Um, and then if you did pick him up there and said, you know what, I'm going to park him for the Boston and then use him, because Cleveland was awful at the beginning of May. They've now turned into a little bit of a tougher team. But uh, he did string together another three gems, two against Cleveland, one against Toronto. Here we go. We're running again. But then he runs into an at Minnesota. Now, if you're curating... Let's say you were you were the adventurous one and you picked him up after the three super duds. Or let's let's say after the KC start, his fourth start of the season, six innings, one run, five strikeouts from Reynaldo Lopez. And you say, you know what, he's got Detroit coming up back-to-back. Let me take a shot here. You take those two starts. You you, you sit him for the Boston start. You, you give him the two Cleveland and, and Toronto. You were sitting pretty. That's five gems that you got out of... Uh, Reynaldo Lopez, and you would be smart to have sat him at Minnesota in late May. We already knew that they were good. But he's always going to get you in some way or another. Because then you're like, you know what? I'll sit him at Minnesota. I'll bring him back for KC. <laughs> Boom. Five earned in five and two-thirds, 12 hits against KC. Get wrecked, idiot. Goes to Washington. Everyone loves that little tired-ass revenge revenge game meme. Six earned in four innings. Dead. Bounces back at Casey. Six six and one with eight strikeouts. Sit him against New York. Sit him against Texas. Okay. So you could curate, you could have already curated some good work out of Reynaldo Lopez here so far. But to really qualify for what we're talking about here and to be this year's, you know, Castillo or Wheeler or Marquez or something, Reynaldo Lopez has to be more trustable than that. You didn't have to curate the innings of those guys uh, in the second half last year. They became set it and forget it. You might not have realized that instantly, but maybe you know three, four starts into their run, you're like, well, I'm not taking this guy out right now. Let's just see where this goes. So for Reynaldo Lopez to do that, he really needs to be more trustworthy against all comers. And you know, you take a seat every once in a while, I guess, but you have to be starting him four out of five times to really turn this boat around and really justify uh, his inclusion here. The key will be he has to figure out a way to do what I just praised Musgrove for already being able to do, which is limit home runs. Do you want to guess what Reynaldo Lopez's home run rate is this year? I'll tell you that, like, again, once... Ah, dang it, that wasn't again there. I don't know if that's my first one since I said I'd be mindful of it or not, but... um, I think, you know, anything over like a 1-2, you're starting to get in some trouble. So, guess what Reynaldo Lopez's home run rate is with that in mind. I think one is about average. In fact, let me just check it real quick. One quick click. Holy smokes. So, average this year, because the league is off the charts, is 1-4. But that's the average of all starters. The fantasy average you know of guys that you can really trust and feel like you can run out there's probably closer to that one 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 two mark i'm talking about so there you go got your guesses you ready you're wrong 
You were way too low. I don't even, I didn't even hear your guesses because we're not talking to each other. But you still guessed too low. I know that because nobody said 2.2. 2.2. Two. 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 How, dude? How? It's, it's, it's an MLB worst among qualified starters to the surprise of literally nobody. Um, although Dylan Bundy, who I almost put on this list, but even I have my limits. He might've, he might've pushed the, uh, pushed himself ahead of Raylo today. Let me actually do the little math here. So he allowed two and four innings. Now, never mind. I know they had a bunch of homers. The Padres did, uh, Hosmer, Garcia, Renfro, two for Franmil, but he only gave up two of those, he being Dylan Bundy. But anyway, Ronaldo Lopez needs to keep the ball in the yard if he has any chance at, at being one of these guys. He did give up one homer today. That's that's like an improvement at this point. He has six multi-homer outings and only four homer-free outings. That's so bad. Three of those... Um, for for Real Lopez, have seen him allow three homers. Seattle back when they were good for five minutes, Tampa Bay, and at Minnesota. In fact, uh, of those three, two of them were in those first three starts when he when he had a twelve fifteen ERA when he was like really struggling. Let's just let's just do him a little favor here because it's still not going to be that good. We'll lop off those first three starts and see what his home run per nine is since then in fact we'll add in today's well we're gonna be real generous here so that's gonna be <laughs> it's still a one eight even if you get rid of two three homer outings and he didn't allow any in the in the first uh, start of the season so you get rid of six of the homers that Reynaldo Lopez has given up this year and he only goes down to the seventh worst home run rate in the league this year Yikes. So that's going to be the, the, the key. That would have to be the change, right? We go back. We talk about, you know, the fastball just went next level for Zach Wheeler. Um, that was actually a big change for Luis Castillo, too. He really got his fastball to work so that his, his changeup and slider were more effective. Because I want to say that his secondaries were actually pretty good in that first half, but his fastball was so bad that it didn't matter because he wasn't getting enough volume out of them. Holy moly. I'm watching this Arizona Diamondbacks. Oh my goodness. This Diamondbacks-Dodgers game. Jack Peterson just hit one almost to the pool. And the center fielder, Draw Dyson, and I believe that's Low Castro in right, converge. They both jump up at the same time. Their gloves are in like the same spot. Dyson actually catches it and... Their arms are like interlocked by the time they come down and they caught it for a home run robbing catch. Well, they, I mean, it was Dyson, but holy freaking smokes. That was absolutely bananas. Wow. Sorry, you guys will see this and know all about it by the time this podcast comes out, but holy smokes. All right, so wrapping up on Lopez. The absolute key will be just keeping the ball in the yard. Um you know, he, he flashes some strikeout capability at times. He's got the blazing fastball. His secondaries kind of go in and out. Sometimes the changeup looks great. Um, the slider can was good a lot of times last year, uh, but really hasn't been this year. 
he has obviously he has to get his pitches right. Doing that will keep the ball in the you know those things go in concert there. So that's going to be his main key though. Until we really see home run suppression from Lopez, it will be hard for him to do this. But I still believe that there is the the raw talent here to turn that ship around and possibly be one of these guys that we look back on him and you know everyone starts doing the cutoff on June 26th he had a 400 ERA and then he ended up with a 250 uh you know from that point forward so uh, I do think he has the potential next up a long time spore recommendation who this year I actually kind of backed off from I really wasn't going in on Michael Waka but I'm I'm back at it again why because I'm stupid. I mean, let's just be honest about it. No, I I don't know. Because <laughs> old habits die hard. I don't know. You know, his last outing was, was pretty solid. In fact, two of his last three were really good. One of those was against the Marlins in Miami, and that, that always helps. But there there is, there is some potential there. One of the things that I would always say when I was recommending Waka was every year – and this year is the exception so far. But coming into this year, he had a run of excellence and a sustained run of excellence at some point. Sustained meaning we're talking seven, eight, ten starts, like a, an actual chunk, month plus, not just you know three good starts here, four good starts there. Like a sustained run of high quality work. And injuries would would knock him off the track, or um, I mean that was it was usually injury, almost always to be quite honest. Although uh, in 2017 he did make 30 starts, so you know full season. Same with 2015, and 2015 was actually just a good season, full stop. But then in 2017 he ended up with a 4.13 ERA, so he's kind of up and down. 136 WHIP, that's not good. So the bottom line is there's talent there for Waka. Injuries have really been a problem. This year, he just hasn't been good yet. And the walks are through the roof, and his swing strike rate is down. His home runs are way up. He has, Walk has been a good home run suppressor. He's never been above one in his career, and then this year he's up to 1.9. And so you're going to look at that profile, and it's going to be gross. This one, even more so, like Musgrove, I think, is kind of in all formats. You could take the shot. Lopez and. Waka, I think, are AL and NL only, respectively, or really deep mixers. Maybe reserve in a 15 if you're super desperate. Otherwise, you're looking 16-plus mixers for these two here because it's really stinky. And so the the reason, though, that I'm doing this now is because you can't necessarily wait until they're already in the midst of it, though. Uh, for you, especially for you deeper leaguers, because you know someone has a good start, folks are jumping on them on the waiver wire, uh, you know right away. And as Fab budgets start to dry up, they, and people can't go for the biggest guy every week, they start to look for these one little signs here. And so you know, two out of three good starts for Waka, he's been good in the past. Well, I I don't have a good Fab budget, so I'll put my two bucks on him, and they jump on him early. That needs to be you right now if you're the one scraping the bottom of the barrel. So, you know, I still I still have some belief that Waka can can be good. And, you know, he he is still rocking a great changeup. Now, literally, the rest of his arsenal this year has been utter trash. 
So we're talking about one pitch that you can even uh, rely on at this point. But he doesn't need all three of the others to turn it around. Waka really only needs one, ideally the fastball. You go fastball changeup and, and then just don't get beat with the, uh, with the cutter curve and we're in business. So he's my next, he's my next name there. And then the last one, um, I kind of bookended the, 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 the quartet here with the guys that you could go for in mixers. Um, and even as low as like 10, 12 teamers. And so the last name is Matt Strom. Now he came in with a lot of hype coming into the season. I remember watching his first start of the year. I was streaming on Twitch at the time. So I had the game on the iPad and a lot of folks in the chat, we were really excited about it. A bunch of us had him on our fantasy teams. We're like, here we go. It's going to be great. And it was awful. <laughs> the velo was down. Everything looked bad. It's like, this was the guy that we got that hyped on. We spent all winter talking up. And, you know, the spring went well for him. And this is what happened. Two and two-thirds, five runs, eight hits. Now, little did we know, because at the time, you know, getting smoked by the Diamondbacks, I was like, come on, dude. High expectation guy gets smoked by a garbage team. Turns out. Diamondbacks not so garbage offensively. So that that softened the blow ever so slightly when we look back on that start now, but it was still very disappointing. In fact, he was being cut in a lot of leagues. For me, I was like, I got I got to ride this out a couple more starts. So I wrote it out the next two, which was at St. Louis and at the aforementioned Diamondbacks yet again. He threw 10 innings of uh, of one run ball or one earned run, two runs, one of them earned. With only six strikeouts, so it still wasn't like, oh, we were getting the full story here on Strom. But then another gem, another gem. All of a sudden, you're looking back and you, you don't even recognize the uh, the first start because his next nine, Strom had a 2.53 ERA. So, you know, maybe he's cheating a little bit because he has, well, same with Musgrove, I, I guess. And I don't know, I didn't look at the full game logs in the first half of the four guys that uh, I referenced as the the main guys from last year who turned around one or two of them probably had some decent runs at some point even with their crummy era so i don't feel like i'm cheating including musgrove and, and strong because they've been waiver wire fodder of late because despite that nine start run and even if you include the 10th uh strom ended may with a 321 era despite that he's now all the way up to 485 because his first three starts of june have been horrific. He has a 12.08 ERA in 12 and two thirds innings, adding over a run and a half to his bottom line. Now he did pitch today. Let me see what he's done against Baltimore in Baltimore, six innings, four runs on two homers, but nine strikeouts, no walks. I'm counting that, you know, I'm taking that as a dub because I think he is going to actually get a dub too. So, you know, the ERA isn't good. But the, the whip is at sub one and nine strikeouts uh, and, and a win. Okay, we'll take it. Uh, it's not enough to like, uh, you know, say that this is the beginning of the, of the hot start, but it's certainly not following in line with the three starts, including one against Miami. They blasted him for seven and four and a third at home. And then uh, a trip to Colorado getting skunked in that. Okay, that's fine. But then Milwaukee 
that you know you can also justify that a bit and it wasn't as bad five innings four runs but it wasn't good the worst part though the scary part and i guess this has been a central theme and i didn't even plan it to be but home runs i'd mentioned that he's already given up two today i think he's out of that game already in baltimore that's going to be his sixth start in a row with two homers now granted three if you count today's as at least passable fantasy relevant fantasy useful we're going to say three good three bad but that's the danger of home runs is that you have to do so much good work around them to keep your fantasy relevance so we need to see some home run suppression out of strom as well and that's what's really tortured the landscape this year. i'm not breaking ground we've talked about this on the show it's been covered across the fantasy landscape at large that's what's really destroying the pitching landscape is the home runs because that nothing ruins a, a an ERA quicker than the long ball. You give up a doink hit, uh, you know. Uh, you, you walk a guy that you're you're trying to be careful pitching with. You got two on, one miss pitch, it's three nothing. And you look at the inning, and you're like, well, he wasn't even pitching that bad. That was a an excuse me swing that looped over the second baseman's head. The walk was a you know a challenging at bat where he didn't want to give in which you would normally applaud, but then he leaves one bad, the one bad pitch of the inning because of the sequencing of it, it's now 3-0. And that's with this, with this rabbit ball that's causing so many problems. And that's why I think we do need to be open to looking at some of these uh, tortured assets and, and being, willing to, being open to taking some chances on them because you're not going to find a lot of gems on the waiver wire right now. Everyone's holding on to those like crazy if they if they show one strong sign a good k rate and that's it a good swing strike rate and that's it a minuscule walk rate um you know home run suppression of their own but maybe their era is still a little high and they walk too many but they but they don't give up homers like we're holding on to those guys you got to find the guy who has the multiple warts that's still worth taking a shot on and strom does have those warts because he is allowing too many homers and the fastball is way down now I didn't expect him to keep all of the velocity going from bullpen to starting. He's a 94-mile-per-hour guy on average from the left side the last two years as a reliever with the Royals and Padres. A couple starts mixed in, but by and large, you know that, that, that velocity was set as a reliever for Strom. I expected him to maybe drop a tick or a, a tick and a half. He's dropped three. He's, you know, he's, he's really down to like 91 from 94 to 91. And so that's been that's been rough to see, but he isn't walking anybody. He still has a solid 10% swinging strike rate, which probably went up today. I don't know for sure, but 9 strikeouts in 6 innings unless, you know, it just happened to be on all of his best swinging strikes or, or had a bunch of called strikes. It was probably a little bit better today and maybe went up to uh maybe upped the overall rate to like ten and a half or something. So we're in that ten, eleven percent range. He was at thirteen percent last year. Strom has a kitchen sink arsenal too. The one thing I I am heartened by as far as the fastball being losing all that velo is he's moved away from it then into the secondary stuff. He's only throwing his fastball forty percent of the time, thirty-three percent on the slider. 13% on the curve and 15% on the changeup. I rounded there, so I don't know if it completely equals 100, but um, you know you get you get the point here. So the fastball shouldn't be you know crushing him as much because he's not he's not leaning on it despite the lost velo. 
but it has to be something that that he can at least use in spots like if you're going to use it that lightly it it needs to be good because that's usually what we've seen these guys that get away from their fastball um they've seen it the, the less is more has happened for them and so they they get better performance out of their fastball because they're not overexposing it and then their secondary stuff can shine we haven't necessarily seen that uh, out of Strom here. The secondary stuff has been pretty good on the whole. The curveball is the only negative pitch value, and pitch values are not perfect. They're not necessarily predictive either. So even though the slider and changeup have positive pitch values, doesn't mean that they're automatically good pitches the rest of the way. But it does fall in line with previous uh, history of those pitches performing well. I like the arsenal. I am... Troubled by the velo drop, but it's not a a limiting factor to or an eliminating factor. Meaning, I won't necessarily say I I can't have Strom on my team because of it. I love the walk rate. I hate the home run suppression, of course, because it's non-existent right now. So that's the big change that he needs to go through for for Matt Strom. No, going to Camden, home run suppression wasn't exactly what I was expecting. I was just hoping for a quality outing. I didn't get a a quote unquote quality start, but from a fantasy angle. Nine strikeouts, a win, a sub win, a sub one whip, we'll take it. So that those are the four guys that could turn it around and be this year's out of nowhere guys. Again, we're not talking about Blake Snell. He's a reigning Cy Young. His component numbers are still excellent. Syndergaard, Nola. Um, let me see some of the others that if you you'd want to include them because they've they've got some things going, but I I would lim- eliminate them because they, they they've been too good in the past. Even in Eduardo Rodriguez, who has a 487 ERA, I considered him, but then I was like, no, he's still got too many positive things happening right now. I don't even think that uh, that Eduardo Rodriguez qualifies, so I eliminated him from contention. 18% strikeout minus walk rate is 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 better than we're we're looking here. We're really looking for the stink. Uh, let's see anybody else here that some folks might want to include that I'm eliminating. You mm. Darvish obviously has been too good in this history. He and, and, and Jack Flaherty was excellent last year. They both have 475 ERAs. They could be somebody that, uh, turns it around and is great the rest of the way, but they don't qualify in this realm because they're not being cut either. All four of these guys are turning up on waiver wires. That's what makes them viable for this. They have to be gettable either in a buy low trade where you could truly buy low or just off the waiver wire. So again, to review, it's Joe Musgrove, Reynaldo Lopez, Michael Waka, and Matt Strom. They could be this year's out of nowhere second half starters. Musgrove and Strom, I think you can at least park on your reserve in, in shallow or mixed leagues, 10 and 12 teamers. And, and even, you know, already be spot starting in 15-teamers. Lopez and Waka are really AL and NL only, respectively, and super deep mixed league. We're talking 16-plus teams. I know some of you crazies out there in your 20-teamers and whatnot, you're, you gotta, you have to buy some some distressed assets. And these are the kind of guys that can do it. Who are your guys? Um, if you have some that I that I missed, what we're really looking for is guys who've, who've pitched a lot this year already. So I would say at least like a... A 60-65 inning qualifier, and they can't have been too good in the past. And I already eliminated a bunch of the names. Like the aforementioned Zach Wheeler could be another one this year, but he was too good last year to really qualify, so he wouldn't really be out of nowhere. Uh, but I won't name a bunch of the other names. I'll, I'll let you guys look at the leaderboard uh, or, or you know, 
laggard board, as it were, because you're really looking uh, the reverse ERA leaders, and see if there's any other names that you guys like that you think could be the out-of-nowhere second-half gems. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I'll be back, I think, Thursday with a guest, but I I will let you know on that. Um, If not, it will be soon. Okay, bye.